0: We turn the page this morning to Ecclesiastes 10, where we read the first three verses. This is at page 558 in your pew Bible, if that's helpful. As we turn to chapter 10, we're coming very near the end of Ecclesiastes, as you can see. Uh, the point at which Kohelet, the preacher, is closing in tighter now on these themes, these uh, doctrines of folly and, and wisdom We're coming to the narrow end of the funnel, as it were, and getting down to the conclusions of wisdom. We've noticed by now that Solomon is always, always in favor of wisdom, isn't he? Even though, admittedly, even wisdom has its limitations. Wisdom may not be able to unravel uh, the mysteries against which we knock our heads almost constantly, and They may not hand us that ever-elusive key to unlocking life, even for Christians. But still, it has great advantage in that wisdom is the way of life versus the way of death. And also, wisdom is of great practical daily benefit as well, isn't it? In fact, we shall see as much. Sure, wisdom has its limitations. as we concluded last time, wisdom will not get you the accolades of men. In fact, in all likelihood, it will earn you the hostility of men, or maybe even better for us, just the indifference and forgetfulness of men. Remember last time that poor, wise man who saved the city by his wisdom and was rewarded by what? Being uh, forgotten utterly forgotten. Still, wisdom is better than weapons of war, Kohelet concluded, but, but one sinner destroys much good. It is in the diminutive comment that one sinner that uh, destroys much good and the diminutive that we come to in chapter 10, that the two are connected, even if only loosely, Just as one sinner, one single solitary sinner can ruin much good, so a dead fly or two can ruin a perfect ointment. He's continuing to develop, you see, folly and wisdom. Continuing the theme now with some down-home practical application for us in chapter 10, to which we turn after we pray. Father, we thank you for your word We thank you for uh, the fact that it is living and powerful and active and uh, does its work for which you send it, never fails to accomplish it. And so we pray that that will certainly be the case in us as a congregation, in every one of our lives as your children. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Ecclesiastes 10, the first three verses Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. Five days ago, a 22-year veteran St. Thomas police officer in Ontario, Canada, lost his most recent appeal against a censure that had been imposed on the 50-year-old. Constable Steve Coodney was demoted from a first-class constable to a fourth-class constable, a penalty that has cost him tens of thousands of dollars in lost wages, not to mention his reputation. What was it that cost this police officer uh, so dearly who had otherwise such a sterling reputation? Well, four years ago, his wife of two decades—they were separated at the time—and he found themselves in a disagreement over a backpack. And other stories about what follow differ slightly, but not enough apparently to have prevented the powers that be from convicting Constable Cudney of two counts of discreditable conduct under the police. Services Act, the law governing policing in Ontario. What happened? He shoved her. When she would not give him the backpack, he shoved her. He took it by physical force. That's it some people put a question mark after that short sentence and ask, that's it. But uh, either way, it is enough. 22 years of policing with promotions and one off-duty shove is enough to tarnish an entire reputation. One act of folly verse 1 dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench that's it yep that's it the tiny little carcasses of a dead fly or dying or two ruins the whole fragrant ointment turning it putrid. You may have experienced it more closely as the fly in your Coke problem. You're at your neighbor's cookout, and you're having a a great time, and just as you raise your glass of soda to your mouth, you look down, and there's that single dead fly floating around in the bubbles. Now, what do you do at that point? Well, (laughs) you may drink it, but I'm not going to drink it, I'll tell you that. It's ruined, right? It's ruined. The whole glass of Coke is ruined. Just so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. That's it. From the very beginning of this chapter on folly and wisdom, there is a warning here to us, dear ones, isn't there? It does not take more than a little fly's worth of of folly, of foolishness. That is, one bad move far, far down temptation's path in a life otherwise governed by wisdom to cause all the wisdom and honor to be tarnished and diminished. Solomon itself, the man we take to be the author of this book, is a prime example. Here was a man, the wisest of them all, why? Well, because God had granted him wisdom in answer to his faithful and righteous and, and humble prayer. To this day, we use the expression Solomonic wisdom to describe the acumen required to make exceedingly difficult judgments and decisions that sometimes have to be rendered in the home or in the church or in the civil realm. Solomon was wise, and, and Solomon was a Christian. We may certainly say he was a saved man. He's described in Scripture in Nehemiah as beloved by God. But Solomon had a weakness. He allowed flies into the ointment. It was a weakness, in his case, you remember, for women. For multiple women. For multiple foreign women who, the Bible says, made even him to sin. To this day, it is that folly, isn't it? When I say Solomon, it's that folly that comes to mind, that deeply tarnishes his reputation, that in a sense outweighs the wisdom and the honor of Solomon in the minds of many. Here's a great warning to us, isn't there? About all manner of folly that might otherwise, uh, that might tarnish an otherwise sterling life. Listen to me, young people. You may find that boy to be absolutely dashing and attentive to you. He's so kind and interested, like no one has ever been in you before. Or or that girl, you can hardly believe that someone so gorgeous could be attracted to you. And then then one evening you're alone, and the light is dim, and the mood is right, and he says to you, or she whispers in your ear, ah, everyone's doing it. Do you hear the buzzing of flies? They want into the ointment. You have a choice. Slam the lid on the jar. Keep the ointment pure or spoil the contents. Now, bear in mind, you you don't have to resist at at this point for the rest of your life. All you have to do is resist for the next five minutes. Don't let the flies destroy one of the most beautiful gifts you have to give to someone else in God's perfect time. Are you Christians in the office? You, you've, you've maintained your integrity. You, you've kept the books. You, you've kept the inventory. You've guarded truth in your interactions with co-workers and, and with customers and with clients and with those over you and with those under your authority. And now comes temptation knocking at your door. Maybe you've made a mistake of some sort. And, and now it's just so... It's just. Too difficult for you you to admit that you've made that mistake, so naturally you're sorely tempted to cover it up, to to lie. Or your boss comes to you and tells you that there's going to be an audit and and this is all you need to do, he says, or she, just add a couple of dates here, a couple of figures there uh, that are missing from the records, fix this or that, uh, make it look Uh, better than it truly is. Are you really ready, Christian, at that point? Are you really ready to let the flies in the ointment at that point? Oh, it's just a couple. (laughs) That's all it takes. You think you can allow just a little folly to mix in without making the whole thing stink? Kyle and Delich, in their famous commentary on the Old Testament, put it this way Heavier and weighing more than wisdom, than honor, is a little folly. Wisdom and honor are swept away by a little quantum of folly. It places both in the shade, it outweighs them on the scale. It stamps the man notwithstanding the wisdom and the dignity which otherwise belonged to him as a fool. Derek Kidner, a more contemporary commentator, puts it more succinctly. He says, it takes far less to ruin something than to create it. It's easier to make a stink than to create sweetness. Just ask any number of people in the Bible who, who forfeited prizes, who, who marred good beginnings with a single reckless moment. You know, we can all easily identify the reckless Esau's, right? I mean, they come right to mind right off the bat. But also the tried and true. The Moses, the, the Aaron's. At the weak, foolish moment, we all hear ringing in our ears the Apostle Paul's warning to the Corinthians, don't we? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Beware the flies. Beware the flies, even even the little tiny flies of folly. They fly from their father, the Lord of the flies. Beelzebub himself, to bring bring ruin and and death and stench into the fragrant ointment of your life wherever they're allowed to alight. Here in chapter 10, the preacher gives us an expose of of folly, of foolishness, as well as the wealth of wisdom, and as much as I'd like to cover them uh, both in a single sermon, I believe we're going to have to take A Lord's Day morning for each, so begging your patience, I invite you to consider with me this morning the nature of folly. Let's uh, get to know her folly, uh, lest she mislead us down her path. Solomon sets folly before us as embodied in a fool so that we may see folly for what it truly is. Fundamentally, folly or foolishness being the opposite of wisdom is the absence of what? You know the answer. The opposite of wisdom, which is the begins with the fear of God, must certainly be the absence of the fear of God. And you'd be exactly right. It's not as though all fools have uh, low IQ. Uh, rather, the fool is a person who doesn't live before the face of God. In fact, a fool says what about God in his heart? Remember, there is is no God. That's how the fool lives. And yes, folly and wickedness often go together in the Bible. Haven't we heard the preacher say to us in this book just recently, be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. But they're not necessarily exactly equivalent. Foolishness may not be malicious in its own right. It can be simply clueless. Just, Just clueless, cluelessly impulsive. You know, cluelessly arrogant. Cluelessly disregardful of God and forgetful. And here Solomon shows us the fool's heart is adrift, doesn't he? It, it's leaning to the left. Well, the Bible says this sort of thing to us without even the hint of apology to us lefties. You know, that's okay because we're used to the world, never apologizing to us, even as it hands us a pair of right-handed scissors. But uh, generally speaking, the Bible associates the right hand with the good side, and the side of strength, the side that saves, the side that supports, the side that protects, the side that conveys blessing. Remember Jacob crossing his arms to be sure that his right hand fell Upon Ephraim's head with blessing. The right hand is associated with the side of salvation. We, the sheep at the judgment, will find ourselves where? The right hand, yes, of, uh, of Jesus. So when we find the fool inclined to the left, we understand that he is headed the wrong way in life. And no matter how many times uh, we've seen these foolish decisions, yet we see them again again and again you know, we don't we these wrong-headed and disastrous uh, decisions with equally disastrous consequences in the bible we remember abraham and his cousin lot dividing the land of promise right abraham chooses contentment lot chooses sodom and moves his family right into that wicked and doomed city or in our last series of sermons we see ruth Choosing faithful uh, faithfulness, choosing Naomi and the people of God, while Orpah, her sister-in-law, foolishly returns to idols. This this parting of the paths. We asked ourselves on that occasion which direction our own lives are going, didn't we? And now we'll do west. Uh, we'll do well to pause and ask ourselves the very same thing again. Are you following the way of God? Are you moving toward his blessing? Or are you leaning into temptation? And into evil and into sin? The, the fool goes this latter direction, but for a very important reason. Did you notice the reason that that gives? It's because of the fool's heart. His heart moves him to folly. This is so important, dear flock, and a point that you and I have heard. You've heard it from this pulpit time and time and time again. What is the most important thing? The most important thing is your heart. What is going on in your heart." The heart of the matter is always the matter of the heart. Above everything else, guard your heart. Why? Because the heart is, as Charles Bridges helpfully defines it, the heart is the center of affection. The heart is the seed of knowledge, the source of purpose and of emotion, the very soul of your spiritual life. Everything in your heart, everything in your life flows out of your heart. Does't it? You know this? The heart is the wellspring of life. So you have to ask yourself yourself, I have to ask myself from the get-go, Where is my heart? And which way? Is it leaning? Is my heart leaning toward God, toward loving Him, toward listening to Him, toward loving Him, toward His Word, toward hearing His Word, toward speaking to Him in prayer, toward obedience to His commandments, toward sanctification, that is, toward putting off sin and putting on new obedience? You see, where your heart goes, dear ones, that's where you go. That's why this fool has a directional problem, doesn't he? His heart is directed the wrong way. His heart is inclined to folly. Well, this is still our struggle too, isn't it? Why is that? Well, because as you and I fully know, there still remains some vestiges of folly in our own hearts, doesn't there? Folly remains bound up even in our regenerate hearts, our new hearts. Just like you parents, you wise parents, know that you must drive folly from the hearts of your children with proper discipline. So we must all have folly driven from our hearts. The vestiges of folly that remain that would leave the lid open, if it could, to the flies of folly every time if it could to the ruin of the whole ointment must be subdued no must be slain by the Spirit of God at work in us as we yield ourselves to him some of you within the hearing of my voice right now are still wondering which way to go in life It's still an open question for you and you're looking for a direction well it begins with your heart. It, the, the steering wheel of your vessel is your heart. And which side of the road, ultimately which road you will find yourself on, will depend entirely upon where the steering wheel of your heart is turned. The fool we see here is on the wrong And sadly, even he's oblivious to the fact now, because verse 3, even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. He's so foolish that that he's the only one who doesn't know he's the fool. There's some comedy here. It's like watching Rodney Dangerfield. Anybody of you remember Rodney Dangerfield? Yanking at his tie, you know don't get no respect, you know, uh, can't do it quite like you. but demanding respect. And remember about Rodney Dangerfield, always convinced that everyone around him was a fool to the man. Well, in fact, it was everyone around him to the man who knew he was the fool. Or I think of the distressed wife who who called her husband, her commuting husband on his cell phone one evening to warn him of the news report she had just seen, that one rogue car was driving the wrong way into busy traffic on the very road that he uses to get home. Honey, he replies, there isn't just one, there's thousands of them. (laughs) The fool is clueless to his own foolishness. while he or she sees everyone else as fools. Dan Allender says it well. The fool will follow a path that seems to be right even when the black top gives way to gravel and gravel to dirt and dirt to rocks and debris. Almost nothing will stop the fool from plunging ahead into peril now there are a couple of ways before we leave off verse three to interpret the end of verse three that part that says he says to everyone that he's a fool it could certainly mean that the fool is busy telling everyone else that they are fools while holding himself to be wise that's one interpretation oftentimes fools do exactly that don't they It could also mean that by his words and his actions, he is demonstrating to everyone around him that he himself is evidently a fool. And we remember from the Proverbs that a fool fool flaunts his folly. Point is, they talk and they talk and they talk and they talk. We'll see more of that as we continue in chapter 10. But they never listen. Good advice is ever lost on the fool because they lack the sense even to receive it. Not you, dear ones. Not you. May you never be the person who refuses to turn your heart God's way to listen to the godly advice and to seek from Him the grace you need, we all need, to follow his path, his right way, rather than your own. I think I just switched them around, didn't I, left and right? But you get, you get the point. And may God preserve us who are his followers from allowing those flies into the ointment of our lives. How to do it. How, how to preserve our lives. How to keep our lives pure. That is the question, isn't it? Well, the preacher's own father, King David, put that question and answer to us in, verse, in Psalm 119. You remember? Remember how it goes? How can a young man keep his way pure? <clears throat> How can you keep your way pure? Are you ready for the answer? By guarding it according to your word. How shall we keep our way pure? By guarding our way according to the word of God. You know, a greater king than Solomon or or David once told a story about this, about a wise and a foolish person and what distinguishes one from the other. Remember the story King Jesus told of a wise man and a foolish one? Some of you children are just now learning a song about these two fellows, aren't you? The wise man builds his house upon the rock, right? And the rain falls down, and the floods rise up, and the winds blow and beat on that house. But it doesn't fall. Why not? Because it's founded on the rock. Alas, the foolish man, he built his house where? On the sand. And the rain fell down, and the floods rose up, and the winds blew and battered against that house. And what happened? It fell. And it fell hard. Remember how Jesus says, great was the fall of that house. Foolishness and wisdom, you see, they have real life consequences. Life and death consequences. I'm reminded of an old man, I think unknown except maybe to one or two of you at this point, who once sat at our dinner table, I remember this dear, and looked in the faces of our young children, and he, after a life of entertaining flies, before coming to Christ, looked into our children's eyes, the voice distorted by the effects of of uh, cancer and of surgeries and all the rest. He said, James and Rebecca remember this word, consequences. He was simply conveying the truth of this passage, that wisdom and folly have real life consequences. Life and death consequences. Consequences. What makes all the difference? Well, the wise man builds his house upon the rock. Well, what in the world does that mean? Well, Jesus makes it clear. He spells it out. For you and for me, the wise person is the one who hears the words of Jesus and does them. And The fool is too busy talking, isn't he, to hear, much less do what he or she is told. But the wise not only hear but do what the Word of God says. The Word that is able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I ask you, I ask you plainly, answer yourself honestly. Are you tired of flies in your ointment ruining everything? Well, if you're a Christian and this is regularly happening to you, then there is a work to do of taking your thoughts, taking all of your heart, your thoughts, and everything into captivity to Christ. And how do we take our thoughts captive to Christ? It's very unmysterious. It is opening the word of God and meditating upon it and praying and speaking to him. It is opening your heart to receive the word. It is opening your mouth to speak to the Lord. See that your house is fully fixed on the rock. fact is every Christian has to do this every single day. It's an ongoing work, isn't it? Every day, receiving the Word. Every day, speaking to Him. If you're not a Christian today, well, is there any surprise that uh, your ointment has not just one or two flies, but a whole disgusting pile of dead carcasses in it? It's time for you to come to Christ now, today, for his powerful grace to do the sovereign work of giving you a new heart, a new record, a new life, an unspoiled jar of fragrant ointment. And he can do this for you. In fact, he's in the business of doing this. Every day he does this for people all around the world. He can make you wise, even unto salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen.